Hey everyone, welcome to JCV Art Studios, season five. Gosh, season five. I have four more episodes after this, and then I'm taking like about a three-week break, and I'm starting season six. I can't believe it. You know, I can't believe it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, today, today I have W.L. Hawken with me, and yes, if you, you, I'm sure you recognize the name. Wendy first came on the podcast on December 21st, and we talked about her novel, Lure. And today, we're going to talk about a novel, To Kill a King. I had, it was like a treat. I was brought into a different world with different characters, sexy characters. We were just talking about that before we got on air here. So... A little about W.L. Hawken. She writes edgy urban fantasy with a twist of murder from her loft near Vancouver. Her novels, To Charm a Killer, To Sleep with Stones, To Render a Raven and To Kill a King, they're standalone novels in the Holly Stone mystery series. Now, what does it involve? It involves a coven of West Coast witches. They're eccentric friends. They solve murders using ritual magic and a little help from the gods. Yeah. Now, you know, in her bio, it says she's an introvert. But in each book, her characters go on a journey. And where her characters go, that's where W.L. Hawken also travels. She researches all her locales, Ireland, Scotland, the B.C. coast, to soak up the sensory landscape. And in 2017, she climbed Crogan Hill in Ireland to survey <laughs> the land her king, which that is so cool, her king would rule and her book, to, to Kill a King, which is a romantic time travel thriller set in Iron Age Ireland. And I never knew about that. I never knew about that. And I was on there and I was Googling Iron Age Ireland. So anyways, a seeker and mystic, fascinated by language, archaeology, and mythology, Wendy graduated from Trent University, Ontario, and has post back diplomas from SFU, Simon Fraser University. Her background in Indigenous Studies and Humanities informs her work. She, I think this is so cool. You know, I think when I think of authors, um, it's not just fiction, okay? Because with Wendy, she found her voice publishing poetry and Native rights articles in Canadian news magazines and she is now an indie author publisher at Blue Haven Press. So today we're going to learn about the bog body, Iron Age Ireland, mix that with intrigue and witchcraft. I think we're going to have a good time. Wendy, welcome. Thank you. That was a really lovely introduction. I appreciate that very much. I will just say I have um, I've since moved over to Vancouver Island. And yeah, I live just up uh, up from you, I suppose, right? Yeah. 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 I'm in the Shemitas area right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm in Campbell River now. No, we're neighbors almost. <laughs> <laughs> I and I love it here. I love it here. Yeah. 
I have to ask, how is the smoke situation with the wildfires in Port Alberni? Are you affected at all? Or Okay, I'm glad you said that because I was on there this morning trying to figure out where the fires were because just last night I could smell a little bit yeah. and um, the winds are shifting this afternoon. So I'm hoping it disappears, but I didn't know where it was coming from. Yeah. So it's not terrible, but, but it's, it's enough that I put my little uh, air cleaner on last night in the bedroom because I, I think I can smell smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, our thoughts are with residents of Port Alberni and yes. the firefighters who are fighting that fire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now to kill a king. Before we dive into this, can, I'm going to, I just, I like getting this question out of the way. Can you give us a bit of a teaser of what it is about? And that is a fantastic title, by the way. Thank you. Um, okay. So, all, well, for, for the title, I mean, all of, all of my books are to something because um, I have a series of them, right? So there's to charm a killer, to sleep with stones, to render a raven, to kill a king. And the last one is to dance with destiny, which is coming, um, this fall. But, um, so it is about, it is about uh, Estrada who has to go to Iron Age Ireland to save Sorsha. Now, Sorsha is an very, rather feisty archaeologist who ends up going to Iron Age Ireland with Kernunos who is the Celtic horned god. And she gets there because Hernunos is impressed with her because she spent the weekend with him. And <laughs> she did she did that as, as a payoff for something that happened in, in the second book. So these these books all feed into each other, which is kind of fun. But with Sorsha, she had um she had seen when she was 14, she had gone to the National Museum in Ireland. Her mom was an archaeologist. She got her in when they had dug up old Krogan man who is a real, real bog body. This is a, like, I went and sat with him. Um, he is there and part of him anyway. And, um, and she, she had touched the um, copper mounts on his armband and saw a vision of him because she has that ability. And uh, at 14, she was like, whoa, I, I just think he's gorgeous. And I want to be an archaeologist so I can, find out about my ancestors, then I want to know more, right? Yeah. So when Kernuno says to her in the, in the epilogue of To Sleep With Stones, I'm going to take you anywhere in time, wherever you want to go. She says, I don't know. I don't know where I want to go. And, and he says, it's okay, I do. Well, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so um, I had to kind of wait on that and, and figure out where they were going to go. And um, so he takes her there because he knows that that's what she really wants to see. He likes to play with humans a lot. And um, he takes her there and uh, she sees the bog man and of course falls in love with him because he's gorgeous too, right? So so that's kind of what it is. And then they then they get involved in the whole Druid warrior society and they get into a lot of trouble and uh, have to get out of there. And so that's kind of what what the uh, the book is about and she's trying to prevent his ritual murder which is his fate and you know as we know fate is 
bait for a reason, <laughs> you know. So you said you saw the bog man? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's in he's in uh, the Kingship and Sacrifice uh, exhibit at the National Museum in Ireland in Dublin. Wow, wow. Like this is all this is also also new to me. Okay, <laughs> okay. So you also climbed Crogan Hill? Mm-hmm. How how was that? How was for someone who's been on Vancouver Island and has never left Canada except to go to <laughs> Maui? What was oh. that like? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I love Ireland, and I would live there if I could. You know, I I really tried to get my family to move there. <laughs> so, but um, so I've been there three times, and and I just love it. And I had already, and I'd already been there on my own. Like I, I traveled alone the first uh, two, two, three weeks that I was there. And then my daughter joined me and we climbed Croggan Hill together. And it's out in the middle of the Midlands. There's not much there. It's, um, you know, we're, we're in, we're in mountain land here. It's not, it's not, it's not like a mountain. It's a hill. It's a, it's a dormant volcano. It's 768 feet. And, um, uh, so we we had to find it first of all, which wasn't easy. And <laughs> we we finally got there and parked the car, and then we had to kind of climb over the fence to get in there. So I have some videos of us actually on my on my website. We we had to climb over the fence, then we got in there, and it was a field full of cows and uh, pasture land, and we followed a cow trail um, up the hill, yeah. which which actually she ended up pulling me up hard of the way because it was it was. It was pretty big. It was it was pretty big, but at the top, um, what's amazing is from from the hills in Ireland. You know, they they all they all would have their Sabbath celebrations. They followed the seasonal festival that Wicca Wicca and pagan people do now, and I do, and and so they could see the fires burning at all the different hills in all the different places in Ireland. So when when I was on top of Crogan Hill, I could look over. And I could see Ishnak and, and that was where they would have the Beltane ceremonies. And just that, just the connection of being up there is really amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you're about the third person I've heard who has, who has said that they would move to Ireland. <laughs> I, I know we're deviating a little bit from your book, but what is it about that place? You know, Ireland is magical. It's always been magical, which is, I think, why it's contested space. And, you know, I mean, everybody wanted it, right? Like the Vikings wanted it, the English wanted it. And there's been so many wars fought over it um, over the years. And the people are magical. The people are just so warm and so loving. And it's beautiful. It's it's as fertile as people talk about with the green. And I don't know, it's just, it's a, it's a fantastic place, so. I would definitely move there if I could. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that leads in perfectly to my mm-hmm. next question because the, oh my gosh, the sensory details when you start reading To Kill a King. Mm-hmm. And it made me wonder were you now thinking about what you said earlier with, um, it was to sleep with stones. You didn't know exactly where. Sorsha was going to go. Mm-hmm. So I I was wondering, was it the landscape that triggered you 
with writing this third book? Or was it your character Estrada? Um, I was wondering what was it that made you situate the story there? Like, was it the characters and then the setting or was it the setting and uh, then the characters? Okay. Well, um, it was actually Rory's fist. <laughs> so um, it, the, the bog body has been photographed a lot and, and you can, you can Google old Krogan man and you're going to see this fist. It looks kind of, I'm trying to see what his here, his fist is up. So you can see his manicured nails. You can see his, his arm and his torso, his head is missing and his bottom half is missing. And, um, and I saw that one night in, in a national geographic and I was just, I was blown away. And I really just was like, I need to tell this guy's story, like what happened to him. And, um, and then I started reading articles about, um, what might have happened to him. Uh, Dr. Raymond Kelly, who is an archaeologist in Ireland, had done like extensive work on this idea of ritual murder, um, where the, the, the Druids and the Celts, like in order to appease the goddess of the land or the goddess of sovereignty, they were doing a sacrificial sacrifices. And so especially, especially someone of nobility, you know, um, so that idea of, because, because he's the sun king and, and she's the goddess of the land and they, they take on a different, a, a different uh, persona, really. They're almost like they're alive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah. So when I saw that, I was like, okay. And she had already mentioned in book two that sh this is why she became an archaeologist. So I said, okay, she needs to, she needs to meet him. And, and I want to tell his story because I don't know. I just needed to give his life some meaning. And, uh, and then he came alive. And, and when he came alive for me, it was awesome because she was in love with him and, so he really came alive for her. And so all those details are, yeah, are in there. Wow. I'm just, I'm just thinking like the writer in me, as soon as you said, you saw the fist mm -hmm. and you saw he had no head and no torso, like no, like no torso and just wondering what's his story. And I yeah. just, once you start learning it and you're going down that path, I could just see you thinking, I have to write this story. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. That excitement. Yes. Oh yeah. It was very exciting. Very exciting. Excellent. Yes. So you, I'm just saying, I'm just looking at my notes here. I say you must've had a great time um, taking uh -huh. that history in. Um, was there, you know, and then mixing the history with the witchcraft and the intrigue and mm -hmm. Sorshoff falling in love with this, with this bog man. Was there any time when you were writing, when you thought, Oh Lord, what have I gotten myself into? Like how, how was the, no, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and I think that part of that is my process because I, so with the, with this, I did all the research in 2017 yeah. And, and then I came back and, um, and I just let it sit for a couple of years and yeah, yeah. And I was writing something else and, and then I was like, okay, every once in a while I have to go back to a strata cause I just miss him so much. 
And, and I had left him in a really bad place after To Render a Raven, which is book three, and To Kill a King is book four. So I thought, okay, where is he? And once, once I said, and I was actually in the middle of writing something else. And I said, where are you one night? I was, I talked to him. He's my muse. And, um, and, and I woke up in the morning and I knew where he was and I knew what kind of his place he was at, like with his head, what was going on. And, and, uh, and so I, I just said, okay, I'm writing the wrong book. I need to write To Kill a King now. And once I did with my process, it's very much like a meditative process where I ask them, okay, what happens next? And they show me. And then once I see this whole thing, then my job is to find the right words to describe what I'm seeing and hearing. So it's all, it's very cinematic for me. And um, yeah, so that's what happened with that one. I couldn't, there was never a point where I said, no, I can't do it. Yeah. It it, it was, um, and I'm always surprised. Like I was surprised there, there, there's a, I will, you know, they say there's a fair amount of violence in here because we're talking about Iron Age warriors. And, and uh, if anybody, if anyone is watching Vikings or or any of those kinds of shows, you know, wherever there's swords and and knives, it, it, it's definitely a violent uh, a violent culture. So, yeah, yeah um, I just went with it, and uh, what happened happened. So it's interesting because you say how you ask your characters, mm-hmm. because I know when I was writing Spy Girls and doing the rewrites. I like. I swear, I must have had. It, it was weird because it was like the very basic concept that I wrote for the climatic scene was there in the first draft. Mm-hmm. But I swear there were like seven, seven different. By the time I get to the final, I'm right now at the final draft seven different rewrites variations of that initial scene okay or that initial concept okay that initial concept what's going to happen to my heroine and i remember with writing with doing the rewrites the last set of rewrites my heroine asks another character question and it's such a cool feeling and when that character gives an answer and you typing stop right? yes, just yes. Like, oh oh okay <laughs> isn't that such an amazing feeling because yes you don't even think of it it just boom the answer comes yeah. out and you're like stop really yes. oh okay yes <laughs> yes. Right? yes yes this, oh, that's <laughs> the coolest part i think of being an author and <laughs> is working with your muse in that way and and it, that kind of raw emotion that we feel comes out into the into the story. I think, yeah. I mean, I um, obviously, with I, I can't give it away too much, but I mean, obviously, he's he is a frog body, so <laughs> she couldn't save him. Um, but then the, the actual the actual scene, the the, the ritual um, murder scene. Uh, that was interesting to write because I just kind of had to watch it. And uh, yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. Okay. Well, even in the beginning with Estrada, he's in a rough, a rough place. And you mm-hmm. just, you feel for him like emotionally, you know, he's just, 
he it's like he's wounded emotionally and he's oh, gone yeah. through some really hard hard emotions right so i'm just thinking now i'm in the Simon, it's our last classes tonight and we're all like just heart, i don't want to say heartbroken but i've been in i've was in the Simon Fraser University's writer studio and it's oh, okay. a year program and our last class is tonight. And, and uh, what I learned, I learned a lot, but I learned about a story rupture and it's, it's basically when you, when you start writing your story and then something happens and you, and you don't go, let's say with your original plot idea Mm -hmm. it sounds like you didn't have any story ruptures when you were writing to kill a king you know what i haven't had any with anything and it and part of it is just this this particular um method that i use i just i go with it and and i'm actually i'm actually getting ready to um publish a book called writing with your muse a creative guide to to inspire yeah a creative guide to inspiration um which is my process and and I'm just I'm just putting that together now yeah. um I've been working on it for a few years but um Eileen Cook right it, yeah. is was she your teacher yeah, yeah. She, Eileen has actually um edited um two of my books yeah yes and she's amazing so she she edited um to sleep with stones and uh to render a raven oh maybe this one too let me see <laughs> it might have been this one too she is an amazing mentor. And yes, this one too. She okay. did this one. And just gives so much. It gives yes. so much to each student. Yes. Like yes. I just I yeah. I, yeah. We're all we're all going to be what's been hard with the program is so for the year, you learn each other's writing style, you learn each other's stories, and we come to the end and it's like we're not going to find out what happens to the end of each everyone's story. Oh, right, 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 right. right. Like, like going to have to buy the book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yes. Okay, then. Now, I'm just, so I'm thinking you're, are you a plotter then? Or because you know, good, good on you. Go with your muse, your inspiration. Never, never. I call myself an intuitive writer. Yeah. And, um, and I know, and I, I know when I'm connecting and when I'm not. So for example, in this, in To Kill a King, there is a Anna who is the Crow Queen. I don't know if you've come to her or not, but when I started, so when I, when you're thinking about something, it's different than when you're connecting with your muse. So I was having a real problem with Anna because I was, I said, okay, um, in Celtic culture, there was this thing about blondes and they really loved the blondes and they were special and all that. They had a special name for them. And so I had made her this blonde and, you know, queen. And then I, I could not get her at all. And then I was almost all the way through it when Michael Stryker says, um, something about, um, you've got it all wrong, Estrada. The crow queen, the crow queen is, she's the answer. And he says, the crow queen. And I said, the crow queen. And suddenly the crow queen appeared and she is not a blonde at all. She's dark. She's super sexy. She's got these five crows that that are are always around her that do her bidding. And when she appeared, I went, Oh, okay. And suddenly bang, she, she came in as a really bizarre antagonist. And, uh, 
there it was. So I didn't get it at all from anywhere other than the characters themselves that that said, yeah, this is who she is. So I've watched the book trailer. Holy oh, okay. Smokes, right? Right. <laughs> Holy smokes. I saw the Crow Queen. I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I just thought, wow. You know? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Now, yeah. that's interesting because I've got notes here about the Crow Queen. Um, and I've had that same situation where when I look back at Spy Girls from the beginning, I had this incredibly strong female character. She was a character's mom. And then, you know, then she was getting, it's crazy for me when I look back at the, the previous drafts. And then I'm trying to remember what was the switch when uh, she she no longer became the character's mom. She became this other character. Mm. And it's almost, did you find that the Crow Queen kind of pulled everything together with your story? Because this, once this character of mine, Katrona, comes on, became what she became, then it was like the story started to mesh together together better. How did you find that? Like, it sounds like yes. it was a bit similar with the Crow Queen. Yes, it, it, it was for sure. I mean, this is a mystery. It's a mystery thriller. So there is a mystery throughout this. And there are some murders. And we're trying to figure out who the antagonist is. And so there are some red herring people in there. There's some nasty people in there um, who might be the murderer, but we're not sure. But then, then yes, I figured out. <laughs> because I figured out who it was. I know at one point I was thinking, when this happens, did I want Katrona to carry on into a second book? Right? That, that, that was my yeah. question. Right? So it's such an amazing process. And I'm looking forward to hearing more or seeing more about your, you said it's creative writing. What was the title? The working um, Writing with your muse. Yeah. And I actually workshopped that. I actually workshopped that book, um, a couple of years ago in, in Vancouver because I meet a lot of people who say, I want to write. I've got this idea. I can't get the words down on the paper and, or they're, they have writer's block or they, they, and, and I'm, I said, you know, when you're thinking, you're cutting yourself off. You know, it's not about thinking. If you're thinking and you have writer's block, you're thinking too much. You need to stop thinking. And let it happen. And I think that that is, that is the thing. So I really, um, I really use that and it, and it just works. And I've, and I've done it. It's been my process for 30 years. It's just that I haven't really, really got into like defining it, um, until people started talking to me about it. Okay. I just did it. Like I often will just dream, dream this, dream the, 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 the scene. Yeah. And, um, wake up with it in my head, like, oh, here's the whole scene, you know, yes. so. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm hoping to have that out soon, because I say, I often meet people at markets, because I do a lot of um, live markets where I talk to people, and I think that that book would be something people would be really interested in. And I think it would be good for fiction or nonfiction. Yes. Right, definitely. Yes, it for is. anything, for yeah. anything, and also whether you're, 
you're somebody who plots or not, because you can still use the same way to plot. You're just not writing all sentences. You're just writing your points, but you're still going to get your points from the same place. Yeah. Which is your muse, right? See, and that's why I don't, I am not a person who will do a detailed plot because I did that once. And once I was done, I had had absolutely no inclination to write that story. Mm -hmm. I I knew, I knew, I knew exactly what was happening. And so then there was really nothing in it for me as, Mm -hmm. as the writer, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now we have to talk a bit about these characters. Strata is hot. <laughs> She's hot. Yeah. So as you're devising these characters, I wanted to know what, so our listeners know, what would you say their vulnerability is? Oh, for sure. Okay. Well, with Estrada, it's definitely that um, <laughs> he falls in love with everybody. And he falls in love fast and hard and with the wrong people. And um, I I don't know if I can say this or not, but Mm -hmm. it's taken to book five for him to actually start to understand about love. Okay. And I can't say who it's with. Yeah. But um, (laughs) it's, it's, um, it's, it was quite, it was quite lovely writing the sequel to To Kill a King and, uh, and having him. He may have found a happy ending. And yeah, I mean, he's tried. He's tried in all the books and, you know, it's just never worked. So we'll see. But that is his flaw. And, um, you know, I've had, I had beta readers right from the beginning say, oh my God, he can't keep it in his pants. <laughs> like he's just, <laughs> because he is. And because I'm watching him, yeah. um, I know I sound like a voyeur, but that's how it works is, yeah. is, I see what he's doing and I see when he's falling in love and I go, Oh no, here we go again. And, you know, I watched him go down in a puff of smoke and, but that is his flaw really. He's, he is. And he's one of the good guys and Sincera, who is the high priestess in his coven, she's not in to kill a king, but she's in all the other books and she's the father or the mother of his child. Right. Um, And she has always loved him, but she cannot handle that lifestyle at all. And because he's bisexual and he has a thing with Michael Stryker and uh, she's just like, I can't deal with this guy. Um, And she's kind of angry at him on and off, but um, they've, they've had to sort of come to terms with each other because they're co-parenting now. And and that's how it is. But and the coven comes beyond beyond everything else, right? Because they work so well as high priest and high priestess. Yeah. So, but I would say that's his his thing. And he's got quite a quite a a backstory that I haven't fully investigated yet. Um, and that's part of it. So uh same with Michael Stryker. Uh, his backstory has come out. Um, his backstory came out in To Render a Raven. And so, so we sort of see why he is the way he is. And he's the perfect oil for Estrada because he just kind of, well, Estrada wouldn't say he leads him in, but he, he, he's definitely a force behind all of that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So how about the crow queen? Like, can you tell I really think she is cool? <laughs> yeah. Well, she, you know, she's very young and, and she wants power. And, you know, she's always wanted power since she was a kid. She's decided I'm going to be, I'm going to be it. And uh, she just, she'll do anything to get it. Right. So, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing about this for me is, I don't know if you've seen all my books, but they're all tattoos. I okay. was going to ask you yeah, about so that. Yeah. So this, uh, let me see. This is actually on Sorsha's back and at the top behind her, just below her neck. And, and it's a butterfly. Just and so it's a butterfly with a, a fairy. There's a little fairy woman inside the, the butterfly. Yeah. And so I have a graphic artist that creates these from a paragraph that I write. I'm like, can you, can you do this? <laughs> and she draws it, right? Yeah. Um, and Estrada has the angel wings from book two on his back. So when they, when they appear in Iron Age Ireland, yeah. the, the Druids think they're fae. Okay. Because they believe in the Twa de Danan that, that, okay. that's, they're very, very real. So they're like, Oh, these people have power. We want it. Mm-hmm. So that immediately makes them targets, um, because of that. And, uh, yeah. So she is fascinated by the crow queen is fascinated with the wings on Estrada's back. That's, that's a real draw for her. And she wants his power. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to actually ask about that, the, the can, about explaining the tattoo editions of these novels. Yeah. So each novel, because you have, is it different covers? Like each novel has a different, tattoo cover yes yes so so i had i had a trilogy and then when i realized i had to write book four i was like oh boy i need something else so and then i started talking to this um woman yasmin who had met at um, a mediumship we were doing mediumship for quite a long time several months actually in in Port Moody and I knew that she was a graphic designer so I just you know after this was all over I said to her you know do you ever think about doing a book cover and uh she says no but you know I'd love to try it out so we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what we would do and we wanted it to be something really clear so we ended up with the white covers and uh something that was simple but also really striking that would tie them all together and uh so yeah, I said one night, I said, you know, they, they all have tattoos. And, uh, that's what happened is, is each, each book has, um, a tattoo from one of the characters in the book. And then on the back of the cover, it has the paragraph that describes the tattoo. Yeah. Did you, did you find that when you saw those tattoos, it almost like solidified everything with these mm-hmm. books? For sure. For sure. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the tattoo just just sets it off to me about what's going on. So, yeah, um, the raven, the the bloody ravens in um, to in to render a raven. The not this is not a giveaway. The 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 ravens are vampires, and and so the bloody raven is is um that's all busted up is on um, Estrada's uh, forearm. And he he got that on there to remember what had happened, you know, that he almost lost his child and other things that happened in that book. So, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely love it. 
when art and writing merges together Mm -hmm. because it just brings so much to the, I think to the, to your books, to the writing process. And it just, to me, it it so solidifies what you've created when, Mm -hmm. you know, I love that. I know. I love your motorcycles. I think um, at some point I might have to get you to draw um, a strata on his fat boy. (laughs) Oh, that would be fantastic. You know? Yeah, Yeah, that would be really fantastic, too. I I think it would be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Now, with the Strata Mm -hmm. and with Sorsha, okay, I tried something a little different with Spy Girls, and I started it um, in a male point of view, which was actually so much fun. Mm -hmm. Now, you start with To Kill a King. It's in Estrada's point of view. Mm-hmm. And then we do go to Sorsha's point of view. Um, and I know another author, Winona Kent, her Jason Davy series. It's written mm-hmm. in the male point of view. Do you find it fun? Like just what made, I guess, <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking out loud here. I'm thinking out loud here, Wendy. It, it wouldn't be a conscious choice. I'm just thinking it would be the character's story and how mm-hmm. the story unfolds, mm-hmm. which would dictate which point of view you're you're picking. Like it's not a it's not you're not going in there thinking, oh, I am writing this story from Strata's point of view. It's it's and then it's what's coming mm-hmm. to you at, with the story. Am I right? Yes, for sure. Yes. And I, and I usually do multiple points of view and, and it, and it becomes kind of like, okay, I know what's going to happen. Who's going to tell this? And then somebody will, will step forward and, and I'll see it through their eyes. So, and that really started into Charm a Killer. And when, one of the first, first scenes I had to write, um, and I wrote to Charm a Killer a long time ago after I had been, I'd been to Ireland a couple of times and I'd been, I'd been writing it, um, I'd been writing it and um, while I was teaching high school and, and I was writing it on weekends and holidays to get rid of my stress because, you know, introverts should never teach high school. I'm just going to say that right out. Okay. It's, it's super draining. And so that book saved me actually. Um, But one of the first scenes I had to write for him was into charm a killer. There's a serial killer who's abducting witches and what we discover is that this man is in love with Estrada, this young man. And so he's, he's abducting witches because he knows Estrada will come after them and he'll get to hang out with them. And so one of, yeah, one of the first scenes I, I wrote was a scene where he, he abducts them. He abducts Sincera and Estrada. Estrada says in the van, he says, let her go. She's sick. Um, she'd taken ecstasy and, and she would, she'd been drinking and partying and, and she was sick. And he said, let her go. I will do anything you want. Anything. You can burn me at the stake. You can do whatever you need to do to me. I don't care. Just let her go. Cause that's who he is too. And, um, and then, and then basically he ends up tied to a bed. And, and so I'm like, there's a stake. <laughs> I know. Right. Cause this guy loves him. And so I was like, how am I going to do this? And so I basically had to just be him and, and, you know, talk about what he was going through when this was happening and how he felt after. 
And, um, and it becomes a big deal because, you know, it's not that he's with a man because he's, he loves being with men. Um, it's, it's that he realizes this was a serial killer and he would have killed us since Sarah. And, you know, that's not okay, but it, they're also all under this charm. So it's, it's a little bit skewed in how they're behaving. Yeah. But yeah, so that point of view thing can be really interesting. You know, with, with all his escapades, I'm like right in there and, uh, which makes it fun for me. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> and then also though, with the really tough scenes, it can be draining as well. Cause I remember a particular scene in dealer's child where when I was done, I just, I sat back and I just thought, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I need to get some air because it was, yeah. it was, I'm, I'm sure, like you said, with um, some of the, the ritual scenes dealing with the bog man, you know, mm-hmm. you're in there. And after, I think you just kind of go, oh, okay. I, okay. Air. Right. Yeah. 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 There's definitely a lot of violence, um, violence going on. And uh, especially when the vampires came in yeah. and, uh, and writing the vampires was, was, bizarre too because I did their I did their point of views as well so um I I kind of told their stories uh, to make them a little more human um and uh yeah but in the last the last book I wrote yeah it gets pretty I was I was revising it last night doing some edits and I'm like oh this is heavy stuff yeah yeah I know this is yeah 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 Yeah. okay okay now Mm -hmm. so when I the one I've been telling my uh, the people I'm interviewing, the authors, that the cool thing I'm finding with my podcast is that six months from now, someone will listen to a podcast I had recorded. For example, could be someone will be listening to this podcast six months from now, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. I really do. And it makes me feel like this isn't a one-off, you know, I, it, it's so neat to look at the stats and see, oh, someone listened to so-and-so's interview, you know, which was um, number 96, right? So um, thinking of the listener who listens to this podcast, let's say New Year's Eve, okay, 2023, mm-hmm. what, I think we've given them a good indication of what the books in this series are like in a nutshell can you say what can they expect and before i let you answer the reason why i also want to want to ask this question is because i picked up a book called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow by gabrielle zevin and i didn't think i was going to like it okay it it deal the characters were um, gamers. They created games, and it was an audiobook. And I listened to it while I was creating art. And I think there was one. There was a, a. It was a good book, and there was a point where I think I literally just about stopped creating art because I, I was so into mm. listening to the story. So it was a book I didn't. A book out of my. Um, genre of what mm-hmm. I regularly read. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I want to ask when a reader picks up 
one of the books in this series, okay, mm -hmm. what can they expect? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I can answer that in a couple of ways. Um, one is through what reviewers tend to say. So, and 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 especially reviewers who get me. Um, so, for one thing, there's a, a big psychological component to this, um, to a sort of a character study of the characters. So, a lot of a lot of people really like getting into the characters' heads and and how far we go with that and the complexity of that. Um, there is a, a, a journey, um, an adventure. There is love, uh, lots of love in not just with Estrada, but there's lots of love in other ways. And there is sex, um, good sex, I think. Um, <laughs> as you said, the sex scenes. Um, and, and there is some violence in there. Um, we call it edgy urban fantasy, but it's, it's more mythic. I like to call it mythic fiction, which, which was a, a um, of a term that Charles DeLint came up with. He's kind of Canada's god of, of urban fantasy. He calls it mythic fiction because there's always myths. There's history, there's mythology, there's magic. Um, there's like the Wicca magic is in there. So this really, uh, let me cross genre blender. There's always a mystery. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are, are more thrillers because we know who the who the bad guys are at the beginning. Some of them we don't. Um, yeah. So I think it's a bit of a mis mixed bag, but I have had people say about To Kill a King, I don't normally read this genre, yeah. but I really love this book. And, and, and it's historical fantasy, I would say, more than anything, yeah. you know, <clears throat> thinking about my sister who, who d hates violence. <laughs> so, you know, she, 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 but, but she read this and she really loved it. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's just got a, a little bit of everything in there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it, that's why I wanted to ask that question because it, if someone would have said to me, like the book was recommended to me about my daughter. And if I would have seen it on the bookshelf mm -hmm. and picked it up and read it, I probably would not have bought it. Right. Because it was just, it was some, it was a topic I wasn't interested yeah. in, you know, mm -hmm. but I was pulled in by those characters. Yes. And just like with your book, To Kill a King, I think I fell in love with Estrada from page one. <laughs> okay. Just because you do, you go into the character and you see his pain, you know, and you're just like, oh man, you know, oh man, you know, so, okay, good. Yeah. And that's probably because I'm in love with Estrada too. So that, <laughs> that, comes out um i think it i think it comes out in the in the yeah in the thing and connell um i just say one more thing about muses um peter gabriel is one of my muses i just i just love him and, and especially I, I i constantly am going to um his secret garden tour from the mid 1990s when he's with paula cole i just think he was just so amazing then and his voice and and just the way he performs. And so um, Connell, Connell Cool, who is this Irish bard, has Peter Gabriel's voice. And then, yeah, so that's what happened there. And then I had to figure out how to describe that. And um, to Estrada, who, who, who just goes, well, when he hears, when he hears him, 
sing, he's just like, I'm, I'm blown away. Yeah. And uh, he basically thinks of it as a 400-year-old yellow cedar tree that was split by lightning and and the and that's the voice. That's how. Oh, I just got goosebumps. That's, um, a, that's oh, this is going to say that is fantastic. <laughs> that's wow. how he. That's how he sees Connell. And um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff going on between those two as well. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. So, <laughs> two questions left. Just wrap as we wrap this up. Uh, this is more. Uh, I guess you could say, uh, I just, a selfish perspective. I want to learn, want your opinion. You write multiple series. And after Spy Girls comes out, which will be end of September, mm-hmm. I'm going to work on an alternate history novel. And this is, I've been working on it a bit through the writer's studio. Mm-hmm. And part of me is, this is going to sound, because I tell you who the right writers are going to understand this. Part of me is a little, a little scared to leave Jade's world. So it'll be the third Jade and Sage thriller. But uh, this desire, I am just so itching to get back to this alternate history. I have like a really rough, rough first draft. Now, I was wondering, does any of what I'm saying sound familiar to you or any advice you could give me or just thinking of, of your writing process? Just go with it, Joanna, right? Is it, what, 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 what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I definitely go from an intuitive perspective on that. And as, as I said, at one point, I realized I'm writing the wrong book and I, and I had to come back and write To Kill a King because I was in the middle of a lighthouse story that I was not, it wasn't happening um, or it was happening, but I, this was happening more. And, and so I just stopped and I, and I started writing this one. So, because I really feel like I'm not writing for the market, I'm writing for me. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and this is something I went through in the fall where I realized I'm starting to, I'm, if you, if you spend too much time marketing your books, Mm-hmm. you start to lose that, the muse, you start to lose, like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And so in the fall, that's what happened is I was writing something else. And, and I went, you know what, I just, I need a strata back. I need to write something that makes me happy. And it will make me feel good. And so I started writing to dance with destiny. And I wrote it in three months, because it was Boom. It was, it needed to come out. And that's the fastest I've ever written a book, by the way, is three months, which is that's a lot for, yeah. for like 90,000 words. Yeah. Um, and I actually hurt my hurt. I got computer injuries <laughs> doing. Yeah. Because I was just like, like, you know, 10 hours a day. Um, so I think that, you know, once you get into this, once you start reading your new world, you'll be able to flow into that, you know, if that's what you, you, you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. I'm a little bit of a fatalist in these things is that, you know, the book and the characters choose you to tell their story. That's how I look at it. It's kind of like the little tap on the shoulder. Well, and it, yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because I was telling the, the, the writing studio class, the alternate history, it goes back to 1976. 
And uh, our listeners aren't going to see this because, you know, our podcast is audio, but you'll see this. So I'd, I had been working on it um, for a submission to the, for the class. And I found myself in the grocery store. I, you can tell how much I like to cook, right? I like good food, but I don't like cooking it. Okay. So I found myself in the grocery store waiting in a lineup. And as I'm waiting, there was this special edition People magazine. That okay. Was in 1976. Gotta love the 70s. Yeah. And that was the year. That's the year where my heroine goes back. And I was standing and I was looking at it. I thought, should I get it? Should I not get it? Should I? <laughs> 1976. 1976, where your story is going to be taking place. And you got to get course. it. Yeah. And I know when I mentioned it to Eileen in the class and to you, you know, you're all saying, yeah, get the magazine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the year I got married. So that one really sticks out for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Didn't stick. But, but it, uh, but, but uh, whenever I think of 1976, that's what, that's what happens for me. Okay. Yeah. The seventies were just such a, a cool time. Yeah. Yeah. Weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So final question. Now this, you can t- take your time. You may have more than just one. I'm sure you have more than just one. You probably have plenty. What, when you think of your, your career as an author, what have been some of your proudest moments? Wow, that's a really tough question. It's it is, and like I say, if you want to take your time, I don't have Jeopardy music to cue, but <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's when people get me either in the review or they come up and tell me um, how much they enjoyed my book or how much they they got from it. I, and I think that's, that's what it is. Like, it's that, it's that knowing that somebody understands where you're coming from and they get it. And not all reviewers do that, but there are a few that can really just grab it and go, this is what this is about. And, and I love that. I just think it's, yeah, that makes me feel good. Excellent. And, and do you find you know, you had made the comment earlier about how you write for you. And I so understand that, you know, and, um, you know, I write for me and then I do rewrites to make the book. Uh, do I want to say uh, make the book better, make the story better, make the the story clearer, mm-hmm. better, easier for the reader to, to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I also find it was like this last weekend where uh, I was in Vancouver and my uh, son-in-law, future son-in-law, said to me, I finished reading Dealer's Child. I really enjoyed it, you know, and it was just so totally out of the blue. And do you find that when it's so out of the blue, like you said, someone comes up to you and said, hey, I really digged To Kill a King. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right yes or just just like i said i'm fa- i fell in love with estrada on page one <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah no for sure that that is that's a big piece of it is is yeah knowing that you have that connection um that you're connecting with people through your words or with me through my images or my dreams or whatever and and that and that they get that you know um yeah it's 
it's a beautiful thing. Wow. Especially for an introvert, you know, because we don't make those kind of connections that extroverts do. Yeah. We just don't. And, and I mean, it's rare for me to like even go out. I hate going out. (laughs) I can just, yeah. And so, so to, to connect with me in, in a really deep way is to connect with me through my work and, and that's, and that's, that's the cool part of it, I think. Yeah. That is another great statement. I think we're going to end it right there. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Wendy. Thank you. And I look forward to reading your books. I'm going to look for them.